Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And I guess we're a Mariners pod now? Uh, joining us to talk about the Mariners taking a 14-game winning streak, one shy of me playing Carlos Santana as the intro, into the All-Star break. We're thrilled to be joined once again by, from Lookout Landing, Isabel Menagian. Hello. I'm thrilled to be back. Isabel, welcome to our first ever Mariners emergency pod. It's truly an honor. And let's <laughs> specify here, this is a good emergency. The house is not on fire. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think we would we would pot, pot about a bad emergency for the Mariners. There have been all sorts of those over the last few <laughs> years. And we've yeah, there was no like Jack Saritza got fired emergency pot. I don't know if that was during our timetable or not, but. We seriously did a Husky baseball emergency pod before the Mariners. We've been through every single team. UW softball, hydroplanes. Like we have been through every single possible thing you could you could get through sports-wise to be here. And can I start things off with a take? In, in traditional uh, Mariners fashion with a Mariners hot take. Kevin, can you intro it? It's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. We've got four ex Mariners in a direct TV ad, Lou Pinella in a shag ad, a star center fielder in Seattle, pop punk on the radio. The 90s really are back. But do you want to know what team this Mariners team reminds me of? Oh, God. For the first time ever, it is not the 95 Mariners. <laughs> Literally the first time I've ever said, do you want to know what this team reminds me of? And I haven't said the 95 Mariners. That's right. It's the 2012 Seattle Seahawks coming off a surprisingly good season. A lot of expectations placed on a newcomer who, if we're being honest, struggled for the first quarter of the season before finally being unleashed with the Seahawks. It was unveiling a read option and letting Russ cook just a little bit. With the Mariners, it's Julio moving up in the order. He was like seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, getting him as high as he can go, getting some swag for Julio, some experience, and finally having balls be called balls. In 2012, there were huge expectations on a rookie. And by midseason, they had achieved those expectations and more. You give me 58 to three over the Cardinals, an overtime win in Chicago. I give you this 14 game win streak they're currently on and a grand salami to seal number 12 of those. During that season, the Seahawks unexpectedly became the best team in the NFL. And that is what we're seeing right now at T-Mobile Park. What did the Seahawks do the next year? They brought it all home. And I'm telling you right now, this is what the Mariners' core is. It's not a wild card berth, breaking a streak or whatever. It's winning the pennant and the series and bringing the first World Series home to Seattle just as the Seahawks did a little less than a decade ago. Let's freaking go. But that's the pod, right? Because I have to go run through like five walls now. <laughs> uh, hopefully not outfield walls in this particular case. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we got a long ways to go. It's actually happened earlier in the season than with the 2012 Seahawks, right? Because that was definitely distinctly in the second half of the season that they got this good. We beat the Patriots in like week four, but okay. 
But there was also like the 49ers Thursday night football game. Nobody is calling for whoever the Mariners equivalent of Matt Flynn is to replace Julio within the, the last few weeks. The brawl with the Angels was you mad, bro. Straight up to the best player in baseball. That does check out. There we go. I mean, let's talk a little bit about Julio, who is becoming... You know, I think there was the discussion in the Seattle Times the other day of he's not just the face of the franchise anymore. He's all of a sudden becoming a national star. And this is going to be his coming out party this week. Uh, Home run derby Monday night, all-star game Tuesday night. Now will not be the Mariners only representative joined by Ty France as an injury replacement for Mike Trout. But Isabel, you probably have your finger more on the pulse of national baseball coverage is, is is everybody waking up to Julio Rodriguez and what he's doing? Oh, yeah. You've got Jeff Passan tweeting that it would be a crime that we should all riot if he's not in the All-Star game. So he is he is very much national level. They've been on a couple of those like Friday night broadcasts and the, the camera just follows him. It doesn't matter what else is going on. The camera's on him and the people who are broadcasting, they know his name and they know Ichiro. And that's that's sort of it. Okay, so on Julio, I made the argument last week that Julio is the most important athlete in the city of Seattle. Do you agree with that? Currently? Yes. I think that's Sue Bird retirement tour erasure, but I think yes. We talked we talked about that. that <laughs> I said with Sue Bird retiring, but I, I do think when you talk about on the national level, like the magnitude of the city and how much it matters, I oh, think yeah. people are pretty excited about Julio in this moment. I mean, the fact that like, his all-star jersey sold out in like hours again, you know, only a small sample size there, but people have been waiting for him. People knew his name. That's part of like the prospect hype. This has been bubbling for so long. And the fact that he has just been unfathomably better than anyone could have hoped for is such a like boost to this team. He's, he's almost living up to the hot take before this in spring training where I had compared his rookie season to Ichiro winning MVP as a rookie. No, that wasn't the only take you had, Tristan. Are you going to get into your <laughs> that, other Julio Rodriguez-related comment? The most important uh, athlete in the city of Seattle was the first part of the question. Yeah, that's The only second part of the man. question was, I, I think Julio is the most important Mariner since Ken Griffey Jr. Wow. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to sit with that one and okay. I I'm sitting with it, not because I think you're wrong, but because I think you might be right. It is actually like a little disconcerting the possibility that he's right. I mean, Ichiro... well, Felix first, right? Felix, who is of this sort of post 2001 generation of the Mariners. Felix is, is clearly the most important Mariners player during that time period only plays once every five days, never once pitched in the playoffs. And obviously, Julio has not played in a playoff game. We're going to do a huge knock on wood here for the chance that maybe he does it. I, I guess I, I, will, I will say that with an asterisk of if Julio breaks the streak in his rookie year, playing in center field, coming in, being the most important player on the team, understanding that Ichiro did the same thing when he was a rookie in 2001. It was a little bit different, though, right? Ichiro was not 21 years old when that happened. Ichiro was a prime established star, and I have been on on the record as an Ichiro hater 
Ichiro wasn't fun like Julio was fun. You, you have been canceled for your Ichiro takes, to I, be clear. I'm just saying, Ichiro had like, I the amount of plays I can remember from Ichiro's career were the slap single to get the hits hits lead or whatever, which is just like dope. Dude, if they would have had, if they would have had the shift when Ichiro was a hitter, he'd be like a 250 hitter. But no, he would have hit also, 500. He would have gone the other way every time. It's Ichiro. <laughs> He also, there was the play where I think he gunned somebody down at the plate from right field. That to third me base. was like, that was his, it was two third base that he gunned them down. Correct. That, that was like the most important play that I can remember from Ichiro's career. Leaving aside some questionable memory there. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Loved Felix, but A, he's a pitcher, like you said. And B, he, w- he existed in a vacuum. He was special to Seattle fans because he was loyal. And that meant a lot. But beyond that, like there were all of those weird issues with, is he listening to any of the coaching staff? Should he have been listening to the coaching staff? That's a whole nother issue. But he seemed to really, he was isolated. He was Felix Hernandez. He was the king. And it didn't really matter what else was going on around him. Julio, like every little Every person that he's around, everyone he comes into contact with is a little brighter, a little better because of it. It's that like charismatic superstar magnitude of he's just, he's had it and he's had it for so long. And he's been, he's been prepping for this, which is really what makes it cool to see. Like he has been ready to be a star. I mean, I guess my thought is Felix, through no fault of his own, is sort of the avatar of the Mariners' futility, particularly the idea that, you know, there were these long stretches in Felix's career, Felix's career where he would perform so well and get so little run support. And it took the advent of, you know, people accepting advanced statistics to allow him to win Cy Young because of the fact that his win-loss record was never going to be there. And Ichiro, even though he was on a lot of those Mariners teams as well, again, through no fault of his own, he's the face of the 2001 team. No, no fault of his own. Sure. It was, it was mostly. I will accept no fault of his own. He's a pitcher. It's, it's a one thing. You're only going to pitch every five days or whatever, but Ichiro was playing every day. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy named Mike Trout (laughs) and uh, some lack of success for his teams. I think it turns out that one baseball player only has so much influence on his team's results. Uh, or two so, in the Angels case. Yes. So Ichiro was, you know, the face of the 2001 team. Griffey is the face of the 90s teams with Edgar as co-face and Randy Johnson. And now Julio has this opportunity to be the face of this new generation of Mariners teams that, again, knocking massively on wood, represents a change in fortunes for the franchise from the last two decades. I, he's it. I think the only the only caveat and the points to Ichiro here are that he was like the one of the first position players to come over from Japan. He was just like a whole nother level of historic beyond like how he played on the field. Julio obviously, you know, carries all of the DR on his back each time he plays and he's super proud of that, but it's tough to make that comparison as it pertains to their sort of like baseball historical, like, Julio will be an all-time, like this is an all-time rookie season, but like not quite apples to oranges, but like, I don't need to get into fruit specific analogies. (laughs) We were ready. Dragon fruit. Uh, I I mean, I think that that is an interesting part of it because like 
Julio's rookie season is more exciting in some ways than Ichiro because you know that there's going to be, you know, again, knock on wood, 15 years of this in a way that I guess, I mean, Ichiro, because his career was so long, did have 15 years, but not all of it, uh, obviously, at quite that high a level. But the the uncertainty was less in his case about his age. Like Julio is like, A, is he going to make the roster? And B, how good is he going to be at this young age? Is this going to be, you know, Jared Kelnick 2.0, where we get all hyped about spring training performance and it doesn't carry over. But Ichiro is like, yeah, definitely. There was, it, it's like hard to imagine in hindsight that there was as much skepticism about his skills translating as there was. It was almost like doubting Chet Holmgren before his rookie season. Oh God. <laughs> so stupid. We'll see. On that one. Uh, it was funny. I feel like there was almost like a weird, like, Kellenic hangover for Julio because Kellenic, it was hard to balance, like, who was better here, right? And I think if you really knew, you could recognize that Julio was probably the better prospect, but both of them were very good prospects. And Kellenic had a really hard time adjusting, obviously, still in the minors. And I think that piece of it, them coming in back to back years as rookies, meant that, at least for me, I approached Julio in a totally different way than I would have going into the season. I remember we had the conversation before last spring training, the 2021 spring training, where it's like, my assumption is that Kellenic is the best player, going to be the best hitter on the roster. And you were like, of course, yes, because of how well I did in spring training. And we had the same conversation this year about Julio, where it's like my anticipation. And for Kellenic, it wasn't the case. He was one of the worst hitters on the roster until the final months of the season. For Julio, he has been what maybe not the best hitter on the roster, but at least one of the best hitters on the roster. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Just that going into this season with Julio, there is excitement. Obviously, there was also a lot of fear. There was a lot of mentioning Dustin Ackley. Like oh, yes. we've been through it so many smoke. Ackley, right? Patron saint of failed prospects. Like it didn't, it didn't feel as good going in. And to his credit, he did struggle a little bit. And I think it really helped, honestly, that he was just getting shafted left and right on those mm -hmm. calls. But to his tremendous credit, he start, he like, he's, taking, he's not taking nearly as many pitches. And the response is that he's just hitting the shit out of the ball. <laughs> Like, can, yes. we, can we talk about the grand salami? Wait, now? hold on. I, I did, oh I did a second part. I did a partial take here on Julio. It was sort of part of this question. Oh, wow. part of, you were like, why are you typing so much before this? <laughs> it was funny that you said patron saint. I remember, I remember Jesus Montero, right? Being so hyped on so many players. I was like, they traded Pineda for this guy? Come on. Uh, it's just, it feels like we've been through it. This is not part of the take, but it feels like we've been through it so many different times where it's like, this is the one, this is the player. And had had, until now has not been. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to interrupt you here, but no. I think, I think Ichiro bigger for baseball. Julio is the pinnacle for the Seattle Mariners. We there we did go. This. Okay. There we go. That was uh, uh, the, the diplomatic way of saying it. <laughs> okay. Here's, here's my second merit. Do the, do the intro again. <laughs> Once again, it's time for. <laughs> Your favorite segment, this time tied with the other one. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariners hot takes coming at you. As a star player, it's kind of like sainthood, right? It's not just that you need to be good. There are tons of good players, right? Mitch Haniger is a good player, right? Ty, Fan Ty France is a good player. You need to do it with pizzazz, and you need to perform some miracles. 
And I think what we've seen from Julio these past few weeks, the grand salami, literally Dave Niehaus's voice flowing through our veins as we watched it. The shot to the upper deck in San Diego, a catch on the warning track. And even he had this playful back and forth. You wouldn't know this because you don't watch the games, Kevin. True, weirdly, in this case. not Maybe not about basketball, but with <laughs> baseball, true. The back and forth that he had with Adoles Garcia over the weekend. It was like, he's not just a good player. It's He is the new patron saint of Seattle baseball. And most importantly, Julio is fun which is something that we haven't seen since at least 2001 and probably even longer than that. And that's why Griffey just has to come to mind. You think about the, the whole attitude of Ken Griffey Jr., right? Like still to this day, when you think about coolest pl- baseball players in history, it is Ken Griffey Jr. I, obviously we're biased, but like Ken Griffey Jr. is easily at the top of that list. And that's who Julio is most like, right? He doesn't play like somebody like Ichiro or even the 2001 team in in general, they were steady. They were good and they were steady, but they weren't exciting. They weren't, they didn't bring you in in the way that this team brings you in. And for me personally, it's like, it's a totally radical way that I've viewed baseball since the nineties. This is kind of moving into a third take. Uh, But all of a sudden I care about role players for the first time. Like I remember fucking loving Alex Diaz, you know, this was probably before you were born as well, but (laughs) I, I just deeply remember caring about Kevin loved Rich Amaral. And it was just like, Alex Diaz is my dude. Seeing Sam Haggerty hit that inside the park home run, I was up and yelling. I was just like, let's fucking go. When they waved him from third, I was like, this is actually about to happen. And it mattered to the game too. So it, it's a totally different way that I viewed baseball at any time since the 90s. Yeah, I mean, Ooh. and like- Every game, it feels like it's Julio Rodriguez and one of his friends, like making it happen. But instead of sort of like Julio in isolation, he's such a team player. He's so ready to be on the big stage. He just lifts the entire team alongside him. And I think like the Mariners have had bad timing for so many moments in the last like God, 20 plus years at least. This timing for Julio's debut, where baseball is slowly but surely loosening up, not of like Rob Manfred's okay, but like the players are starting to loosen up and really like recognize that at the end of the day, they need to market themselves. And part of that marketing is being fun, showing some personality. And like, you know, if Julio had debuted even five years ago, I wonder if we would have gotten the same freedom with which he's playing and it just it makes it feel especially good to watch right now because like to be able to watch him play as a fan it's so rare that you see a player on the field who is reacting in the same way that you are in the stands but like when he caught that like second to last fly ball in the ninth inning his feet were like bouncing up and down he could like the joy was just radiating from his body. You could see him just unable to stand still. And like, that's what I want to watch. That's what makes me love baseball. That's what makes everyone love baseball. I I was thinking about it today where he was up with two runners on, right? And it was a close game. I was like, blow it open, Julio. And he didn't hit a homer, but it was a two-run double. And I was like, he just, and then came around to score right after. And I was like, he actually did it. He just, you wanted something to happen. And then he did that thing. 
I can't remember the last time that I felt that sort of like hope where you just don't look at it and you're like, this is fucking over. We're down by one run. This is done. Well, that's the cool part too, is like, he's not being left out to dry. Like the way that they've structured this lineup right now and the way that all the other guys are stepping up, like he's getting to show off on the basis. He's, we're getting to showcase this generational talent because of all of the supporting players around him. Like obviously, you know, credit to them all individually, but I think they also, you know, when there's a star in your midst, but they're like, they're brightening that star power just because they're getting, he's getting more reps. He's getting more opportunities. Like it is such a gift to be able to watch this team. Like, I feel like a Yankee fan. Like (laughs) you just don't give up now. Like you watch the whole thing and you don't just say, that's it. I'm done. I've seen this before. I think, I think that's part of what makes this win streak so special is all of a sudden, yeah, you're, they're in a situation where, you know, Texas ties the game 2-2 and what was that, the eighth inning on, on Saturday? And you're just like, you still expect them to make a play and figure things out in a way that for 20 years you've expected I, I, I the team to find scared. a way to lose. I would say three out of the four games this weekend, I was like, that's it. <laughs> it felt just- like teetering so on tense. the precipice yeah. Yeah. when there's a win streak it's just like you can't lose the win streak please the pessimism still creeps in i mean i went into the rangers series honestly sort of hoping that first game they might drop it because i'm not used to carrying that pressure as a fan it's like we'll lose one and then they'll just start back over again and i have faith that they'll just sort of keep winning but this is too much pressure like double digit win streak like whew, take it easy but I think that's like, as fans, we're going to have to adjust. Like, we're going to have to figure out how to get comfortable with a different level of play. And it sounds really silly, but the other side of it is like holding the team accountable to keep that level of play, right? As much as we can as fans. This is the huge knock on wood point. Again, it's <laughs> like... Uh, well, the season was over like three weeks ago. I mean, the important <laughs> thing is they can't lose for the next three days. Yes. It's the perfect time to take a win streak. And I, you know, as far as national relevance, like was watching Sports Center in a bar earlier and they're flashing up the longest win streaks going into the All-Star break. And the Mariners have the longest ever than other two teams who had double digit win streaks. I believe at least went to the World Series, if not won the World Series. It's also now... To go back to what we talked about on last week's pod, tied for the second longest win streak in major Seattle pro sports history behind the 15-game win streak by the Mariners in 2001. I mean, it's incredible stuff. But I, I want to talk more about the Grand Slam because you described it on Twitter as 92% Julio, 3% Arlington Air, and 5% Rick Riz, sheer force of will. Were you, were you listening to Rick Riz's call of this? Oh, yeah. So I... I'm a big radio baseball listener. And then, you know, I'll go in after the fact and watch the highlights so I can see it visually. But I love, I love the radio and I love, especially in the summertime, like that is peak, like walking around Green Lake, listening to Riz, it's perfection. And he had been, he had been beating this drum for like a couple days now because the Mariners kept loading the bases and they weren't opportunities. They were not quite getting there. And every time Riz is like, they still have not had the first grand slam of the season. Like he was willing it to happen and to be able to like listen and hear it actually. And it was tough off the bat. People were giving him some grief for like 
a less than great call, but it looked like the launch angle alone. I was like, this looked like a huge pop-up, no way. And that's, you know, where the Arlington air comes in. I, I'm choosing to credit it to, to the ghost of Dave Niehaus. I, that's that's <laughs> definitely what, and that's what Rick Riz was trying to embody. I feel like was that I said the same thing when he hit it. I was like, he popped it up, god damn it! And then it kind of just carries. That's that's the miracle though, right? That's the miracle that Julio has dead center too. There oh were so god. many balls we saw to like right field that just died. He's there, so there... strong. <laughs> Uh, no, that, that was incredible. And I think it was really like one of those first moments where I was like, wow, I'm like the hair on my, on my arms is getting kind of tingly watching this where I was like, fuck, maybe this shit, it like, it reminds you of, is say what you say about the Macklemore song about Dave Niehaus. Every once in a while you listen to it, you just hear the call and you're like, you fucking got me. God damn it. Right. And it was kind of like that, that was, that was what this felt like. It felt like this was history happening. Yeah. Oh, oh. Also, the combination 295 specifically, because the Grand Salami call doesn't originate in any other year. You know, it would be one thing if he had been calling at the Grand Salami since like 1977 and the team wasn't making the playoffs for 19 years. No, he started it during the the Mariners season of record with the statues, etc. Yeah, you can you can hear the broadcast team starting to gear up like and that just sort of adds to this feeling of like something again, you know, knock on wood, something special is happening and, you know, say what you will about momentum, team chemistry, whatever, like when you're winning, everyone loves each other. And I think that really does help in the long run. And that like, you know, one guy ahead of you keeps hitting, you're going to hit guy following you is going to hit. Like it just keeps rolling. Or it just continues to use a uh, Dave Newhouse phrase. <laughs> I could never do Dave justice. <laughs> okay, I guess for the, for the last piece, uh, wanted to ask you, as somebody who's younger than both of us, we were both there through the 90s run. Of, the Mooners had a, a solid four or five year run of making the playoffs. It felt a little bit normal. <laughs> they, they, no, they, they made the playoffs two years. They had a <laughs> solid year run of having a bunch of stars on the roster as the core of well, that team. It was 95, 97, 2000, 2001, right? Correct. Yeah, so they, they, they had a sustained run of success for a period of time. But since then, that hasn't happened at all. And I'm curious for you as somebody who's a little bit younger than us, potentially seeing your first playoff team since you were a kid, how, how does this feel, this moment? Obviously, we've talked about Julio, we've talked about it in general, but how, how does this feel, this moment, going into this All-Star break? It it's magical. It and it has been it has been so good. Like the last two to three weeks, like realistically, almost a month of Mariners baseball. This is the best and most fun I can remember having as a fan. Period. They've made some really good close runs at the end, but so much of that is like edge of your seat, sort of borderline nausea enthusiasm, which you know the Seattle Mariners experience. Um, it, it just, yeah, we didn't live here when the Mariners went on any early run. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area primarily, and we did also miss out on the Giants big run. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying I'm cursed, but I've, con I've considered leaving the city should it come to that. Was there a local team in Cooperstown that struggled <laughs> while you were at the Hall of Fame, perhaps? Oh, man. No, it, it just, this is this is a level of 
not just good baseball, but fun, easy to root for a baseball that I genuinely didn't expect to see in my lifetime. And that sounds really sad when I say it out loud, but the past few years, there's been no reason to think that good things would be coming. It just felt like it was such a deep hole. And especially, you know, last year, whatever it was, 2018, 2016, when they got close and they teased it out and they just fell on their faces, it wasn't enough. I was really, I was convinced they were toast this year. I thought they'd dug themselves a big enough hole and there's no coming back from it. But this is, this is a level of cushion I didn't anticipate. And to be able to go into the all-star break and like give the bullpen a rest, give most of these guys some time off and then come back. The schedule is so, you know, again, knock on wood, broken record. Like they have one of the easiest second half schedules in all of baseball. They play the Astros like nine times over the next two weeks or something like that. And then they're done. They don't play the Astros That's the exact difference right there. We can make it all all up right in those nine games. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the 95 team was focused on the wild card the whole time and then ended up winning the AL West. I just, it's a, I don't want to give too much credit to timing because there have been a lot of bad baseball decisions. There have been a lot of very bad baseball players in Seattle but the timing this year is definitely a significant part of it. The fact that, you know, they've got that third wild card spot, Julio's playing as he is, like things are lining up in a way that I have not, you know, it's, it's a sequencing thing outside of the nine innings that they're playing each night. Like things are coming together in a way that feels really promising and really hopeful. The thing I was, over. oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was thinking to take over Seattle also. I said, go ahead. And then I started talking. Uh, the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson this offseason, right? Right before the Mariners started playing. So the ability to, the Mariners captured Seattle for a weekend last year. Like there was a lingering, but it was still, it's a Seahawks city. And we might be going into October and the phantom for the Seahawks could be borderline zero compared to what it's been for the last decade. You know, like the, the attention that's being paid to them, the Mariners could be the number one game in town in the fall, which is something that we, again, have not seen for over 20 years in Seattle. Ambitious to think there won't be any Seahawks fans. Love Zero. love the idea, but... <laughs> I'm planning on being at the games alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this city is theirs for the taking. And again, not to not to return to Julio every single time, but like that is a player to latch onto. That's the player everyone can access. If you're five years old, if you're 90 years old, like you gravitate towards him. That's, that's a common point of conversation. There's so many more go Mariners, like greetings, getting to see them. I like stopped dead in my tracks the other morning at the gym. Like they were on sports center and I was like, am I hallucinating at six o'clock in the morning? (laughs) Are they really on TV? But it's, people are starting to pay attention and the only just like fingers crossed that they don't fall flat on their faces again. Cause I think they more so than almost any other team have such a short leash for fan patience. Like fans will return again, but they've really like, they'll drop them fast. 
I mean, that's what I was curious about on a personal level, because look, let's be clear here. We're jumping on the Mariners bandwagon here by doing this podcast and, and paying way more attention to the team. We, they've been, you know, a, a, a growing part of our coverage, I suppose, over time, but uh, a very limited, limited part historically. And that's where maybe the Seahawks season, it reminds me more of is 2005, because that's when that bandwagon filled up. And we had that experience in 95 when it's all of a sudden, like, you know, kids who never had talked about the Mariners or paid any attention to them before suddenly are living and dying by what they're doing in September and October, uh, is someone who has been so invested in the Mariners for such a long period of time with so little in return. <laughs> what does it feel to all of a sudden see all of us caring about the Mariners again? Oh, it's so gratifying. Any Mariners fan that is grumpy with new new fans coming aboard, uh, full of shit. Like, I, I love, I want to have as much company as possible here. Like Twitter has been fun, a weird thing to say, but like, and people like coming out of the woodwork, just and thirsty for any sort of Mariners content. So, you know, savvy move, you all putting together a Mariners <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, and for me personally, like working at the hall, you know, a few years before this, I really burned out on baseball. So when I came back to Seattle, came back to, you know, writing for LL and following the team again, it was very, very slowly. I was watching like one or two games a week. I didn't feel connected. And at the start of this year, I felt, I felt slow still too. I was like, I was watching Mets games. Like that's how weird and disjointed my baseball fandom was at the time. And sort of slowly leached back into the Mariners world. And because at a certain point, they just, you can't help but be pulled in by the way that they're playing. Like it is, it is designed to make you a baseball fan. Wow. Okay. Uh, I feel like that's a perfect place to leave this first half for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, It's been an exciting one. Uh, designed perfectly to pull you in as a baseball fan. Fortunately, we've got a few days off here where we can marinate on this 14-game win streak. We can watch Julio Rodriguez tomorrow night in the home run derby, Ty France and Julio in the all-star game the day after that. It's one of these times where you're like, I I weirdly can sense that there's like magic coming all of a sudden. Like I wouldn't not go into this. I mean, I don't know when the last time the Mariners had somebody in the home run derby was, but I feel like it's been a long time. We, d- we don't really talk about Robinson Cano in like uh, whatever it was, 2016, 2017. It was just like, that's not the same. When yeah. you're like, this this right here is going to be uh, Griffey hitting it off the warehouse in Baltimore. That's that's what we're expecting tomorrow. If, I, I don't know what there is in LA. He's going to hit it if, off the mountains. Yeah, Julio manages to find a <laughs> warehouse somewhere. Wow, that's going to be one of the greatest hits of all time. He's going to hit it off the taco truck. Um, but... Uh, this has been so much fun these last, honestly, more than two weeks. The streak has been incredible, but even before then, things getting started has been very fun following this team. Look, no matter what happens, let's say the Mariners, God forbid, knock on wood. Let's say that they do miss the playoffs. Like there's still something growing here right now, and it's pretty exciting. So thank you so much for joining us, Isabel. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thanks for listening. God, I'm I'm like, I'm now really upset that there's not baseball tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, there's no stress. They can't lose. I, that's how I'm looking. That's, I'm I really am like, kind of, I'm, I'm traveling to New York on Tuesday and I'm going to be gone like Tuesday to Saturday morning. So I, it's like insane that I'm thinking about Mariners baseball while traveling, which is something that I would have never considered before this. But now I'm like, okay, well, I'll be back on Saturday. Like I'll probably be home in time for the Mariners game yes. on Saturday night. It's like Sunday, all right, I'll be able to watch, which is kind of wild because again, that didn't happen before yeah, the last cr- three weeks. It's cool to plan your week sort of around when they're playing. 